You're listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts. Hi, this is Caitlin Martin. I'm Towner French. This is Patrick Martin. I'm Rodney Davis. This is Mark Alderman. This is Howard Schweitzer. Caitlin, Mark, Towner. It's a four-way edition of the Beltway Briefing. Good morning. Good morning. Um, morning. So let's start here this week. South Carolina primary Saturday. Nikki Haley's going to lose. Is this the end of the road, Towner, Caitlin? What do you think? Wait, Nikki Haley's going to lose? Breaking, Breaking news. news. Dun, 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 Wait, dun, dun, there's dun, a major dun, dun. primary on Saturday? Wait. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. No, she's definitely going to lose. I don't know if it's the end of the road. I honestly thought New Hampshire would be the end of the road, but the money keeps pouring in. And, you know, as long as the money's coming in, she's pot committed at this point. Like when she went past New Hampshire, she's obviously not wanting a vice president's job. She's not, you know, she's not Tim Scotting it or Vivek it, Vivekking it, you know, where they are just genuflecting to Trump. What is up with Tim Scott? I mean, I love the guy. That's so annoying. It's a great like, question. It's like, you know, he'll come back to his senses, but the question is how much damage does he do to himself in the short term, assuming he doesn't get the vice president's nod? I mean, if you think about like a Chris Christie, like even a Mitt Romney, you name it, who all, you know, bent the knee in, in 2016, you know, trying to have some party unity and, and do it all. Like at least at that point, they were trying to, bring the entire Republican Party together under one candidate. Like here, Tim Scott is clearly just making a personal play to try to become vice president. And that's it. And I don't know. It's really for those who put their stock like I did, quite frankly, rewind the uh, the podcast tape. And for those who, who put a lot of stock in Tim Scott, uh, I am uh, not pleased uh, with with this maneuver. Caitlin, do you think it's over? It's never over till it's over, but it's looking like it's nearly over. But I'm glad she's staying in. Like I said all along, she's got a role to play in this race. She is, you know, taking stronger stances against the former president. She is showing her, you know, international affairs acumen on the world stage. And I think she's positioning herself for, you know, a, a bigger, brighter future in a, in a post-Trump era. And I, I'm glad she's staying in. And to Towner's point... The fundraising is great. Uh, folks, met some of which we all know on this call that are looking to put their money into some effort, futile or not, to you know try to defeat Donald Trump from being the candidate, are investing in her. And until the money dries up, she certainly, I think, has a role to play. I do see polls that show her down, you know, 20 points behind Trump in her home state of South Carolina. That's obviously going to be problematic. But as long as she can stay in and her team morale is is still good, I think she's got a role to play in this race. Isn't she just hanging around on the chance that these criminal cases or the various cases, since they're not all criminal, start to magically erode? That's what it feels like to me, that Thanks. like we have been marked for the last however many years, eight years, nine years, waiting for the other shoe to drop. It never seems to drop. It feels like she's hanging in there waiting for the other shoe to drop on the I, you know on I the think, off chance yeah. it drops. 
Well, right. And when you ask, is it over for Nikki Haley? I have to ask what over means because it was over before it started. She was never, ever going to be the nominee. So there's no drama about the result. This isn't as though a contender has fallen short. It's just a question of, as Caitlin says, how long she can afford, literally financially afford, how long she can raise enough money to keep going, as you're saying, for a miracle to happen. She's waiting for something, anything to knock Donald Trump off. But for sure, she isn't the miracle. She is not knocking Donald Trump off. That was over before Iowa. Could but I hope she hangs in there. I think Caitlin's right. I think it, it, there's a role to play, and it's good that someone, any. problem is that now we're seeing the, the Biden campaign use Nikki's words and attack ads about how Trump is unfit for president, which um, you know I'm fine with, but I do think there's some uh, interesting irony there with the Martin, Biden Martin. campaign highlighting uh, Nikki Haley's attacks on Donald Trump. Let me just say, Mark's uh, hope that Nikki Haley hangs in there is coming across as slightly disingenuous uh, <laughs> with regard to uh, his preference on political party. I mean, well, it's like it'd be like me saying, man, I really I was really hoping Bernie would hang in there a little longer, yeah. and, you know, against Hillary or something. It's, well, does it take Phillips, a bite out of yeah. him in the general? We need does this. Well, she's still the only person that's pulling, <laughs> you know, a, a clear five points ahead of President Biden in a general election matchup. Yeah. Right, but does it hurt Trump in the general to have her continue to hammer him in the primary? Or Look, is this all so baked in that it doesn't make a difference anyway? I mean, I tend to think it doesn't make a difference just because of the time factor. Like, if we were closer to November, then, you know, people who sit on the fence— do I support the Republican candidate who I've always supported the Republican candidate, no matter who it is? You know, those are the folks that are having just getting themselves tied up into knots right now, trying to figure out what to do. They may not like Trump in any way, shape or form, but they've always voted Republican and they plan on always voting Republican. And so what do you do if you're one of those individuals? And, you know, I'm one of those individuals. I don't like Trump. I've always voted Republican. Like this is this is the first election really in, you know, my entire lifetime where I'm going to walk into the polling place and do something that is unlike anything I've ever done before walking into a ballot box. Tanner, I'll accept I'll accept your write-in vote. Thank you very much. Yeah. I mean, it's I I I made a poster for you last night. We're gonna we're gonna I'm gonna stand outside of the polling place here in DC. Howard Schweitzer, president. Um I'm I'm vying for the vice presidential nod uh, eventually. So um, you, you and your friend Tim. Yeah, exactly. But no, I you know the longer she stays in the race, the more there is a counter voice to to for those individuals who are the fence sitters. The more that hard R number that I talked about several weeks ago that you would expect to get anywhere between 91 and 95% of your party's base coming out and voting for you in a presidential election, the the more that number drops. And that's a bigger and bigger problem for Trump because for each one of those voters, he's got to go get, in theory, one of those blue collar voters that he's courting that typically voted Democrat. I, I wonder also, this just uh, occurred to me, we talk about her hanging around hoping for a miracle, but what do you guys think about a world in which Trump has lost 
and Biden is reelected. Republicans have the Senate. The Democrats have the House. Who picks up the pieces? Is she is she next? Does she get to pick up the pieces post Trump if he I mean, loses in November? Or is she is she just so alien to the MAGA base of the party that it's not her turn regardless? Well, whoever the Senate majority leader is picks up the pieces. Potentially. But, you know, hey, look, if CPAC is going on this weekend and Steve Bannon, Bannon opened up CPAC by saying you are the beginning of the 50 year MAGA reign in the Republican Party. So, you know, if you think the day after Election Day, Donald Trump's going to be like, ah, shoot, I really lost this one. All right. That's it for me. We're folding up our tent and going home. Then you got another thing coming. If he's still alive, he's still going to be trying to dominate the party. Talk about how. Now we've had two stolen elections in a row. And, you know, I just it's um, yeah, it's it's going to consistently be a problem. We're not going to see the end of this road if Biden beats Trump in November. It's a thought, Towner. Thank you. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting that feels like Biden. I think Biden's done a good job now of going back into hiding over the past uh couple of weeks when was he out of hiding howard well i mean he moved from the delaware basement to the white house basement well uh, he had he came out of hiding for 60 seconds when he turned around at that press conference and answered one more question i I think he's thought better of that right and they put it they put him back in the basement (laughs) but at the same time trump wants to be he wants it. He wants himself front and center because that's his game. So he's kind of doing what Biden wants him to do at the end of the day anyway, which just gets us back to where we've been for it's like back to the future. Yep. Around it's crazy. Well, it's, all, it's almost March. So only how many eight more months or <laughs> the countdown unbe- is on. No, it's unbelievable. Will these guys ever debate? I mean, that would be quite yeah, I something. Think, I don't think they can debate. I mean, I really don't. I don't think either side, quite frankly, benefits. But I think Trump's going to be on the offensive about eliciting a debate because, you know, right. he wants to he wants to provide the the visual like the JFK esque visual between Donald Trump. You know, like he's going to be very forceful and very loud and boisterous. And, you know, Joe Biden, who's going to try to sit back a little bit and be calm and rational. But, you know, he wants a for all intents and purposes, Donald Trump's gotten work done and and Joe Biden hasn't. And that's going to show up on TV. They're not going to debate. I don't believe I think it's extremely unlikely. The only scenario I can see in which Biden agrees to a debate is if he's way behind. If it's as close as it is, and and it is so likely to stay this close right through the final counting of votes, there's no debate. If somehow Biden falls desperately behind, but a a debate would would be a desperate move for all these reasons that that Towner's saying. It it, it would not be a good visual. If they could debate on radio, maybe. Maybe. Fireside chat. So, Towner, back at the ranch, where's Capitol Hill at this point? Yeah, we're at the mercy of 
the Honorable Mike Johnson. Once again, that's the uh, the concern here is we are in a position where uh, the first tranche of government funding runs out next Friday, March 1st. The second tranche runs out March 8th for the appropriators in the House, uh, Republican, Democrat. The bipartisan bicameral appropriations committee has been uh, negotiating the heck out of bills. Uh, they pretty much have all 12 of the annual funding bills in the can. However, they have now gone through the process of kicking up any disagreements that they have uh, up to the next level. So chairs and ranking members of the appropriations committees uh, in the House and Senate as well, as well as leadership in the House and Senate. And they need, you know, the adults in the room, theoretically, to answer some some last minute negotiations. But what has ultimately happened is that Speaker Johnson, starting at the end of last week, uh, because remember, he's already he's already capitulated on spending caps in the Freedom Caucus's mind to Senator Schumer. So the only thing they have left is the riders, the the DEI, abolish the DEI offices and um, get rid of the LGBT flags at agencies and um, and all the things. There's a litany of of uh, of you know MAGA amendments that were passed ultimately uh, on the, in the appropriations process in the House, and this is what they have to stand on. And so they have gone in. The Freedom Caucus has to Speaker Johnson and said, "Look, you've already quit on us on spending caps. So if you quit on us on riders, we're going to tear this place apart finally, fully, and we're going to kick you out, and we'll find a new speaker." And meanwhile, the House appropriators, the Republican House appropriators are saying, we got good deals here. But if you ever thought you were keeping in any of these, you know, hardcore riders in these bills, when we had to sit down with a negotiation with the Senate Democrats who are in the majority and the Democratic White House, you're out of your mind. We just it's a negotiation. We got to get rid of these things. And so Speaker Johnson has a call to make. The bill could be ready as soon as, you know, the beginning of next week. But he's got to make a decision whether it goes without the riders and tries to solicit two thirds in the House, which I think it'll get. Or if he bends to the Freedom Caucus and either just punts government funding for another week or two and we continue this nonsense or declares he's done and he wants a full year CR, which would result in draconian cuts. And so the ball is firmly in his court. Everybody. Caitlin was down over the weekend and everybody I know was looking to Speaker Johnson for some direction none of which they got uh, over the weekend. So I don't know, Caitlin, did you pick up anything while you were you were down uh, with the, the Republican retreat? Nothing clear on the path forward on the spending fight. But one thing I do want to mention that was a big topic of discussion down there is underneath the headlines, yes, we have this looming government funding fight. We are seeing Congress work in some ways. Suspension of the rules in the House, passing things under suspension is happening. It happened with Chairman Jason Smith's pretty historic, carefully negotiated with Ron Wyden, of all people, tax bill that passed the House a couple weeks ago under suspension of the rules to require two-thirds majority vote. We're also seeing next week things like there is expected to be a vote on extension of short-term Pell Grants for workforce programs. We are seeing policy happen in Congress beneath the headlines when two-thirds can come together on certain issues that are common sense and bipartisan. I think that is interesting to, to take note of. Um, and I think that tax package, you know, the Senate is going to kind of work their or try to work their will on it. They're, they're working hard to try to keep 
take the Senate from opening it up to amendments because it was so carefully negotiated. But there's a lot of optimism among the business community that that's going to get done in the Senate. Um, and there are things that are happening. But to your point, Towner, no, I did not see a lot of direction on what the game plan is for government funding. And that's, of course, very concerning. Yeah. And we're going to need to know something. The House returns next Wednesday and the only they're supposed to be in recess all next week. The only reason they're returning on Wednesday is to take up appropriations bill. The, the, so there isn't a, a shutdown of, of four major bills. That's energy and water. That's transportation HUD. That's military construction and veterans affairs. And that's agriculture all expire at the end of next week. So the House returns Wednesday. They got to get their stuff done quickly. They're not doing anything else. Like I've been told by leadership, there's no other bills that they're considering over that three-day period. They are coming back for the sole purpose of appropriations, but they're going to have to notice that bill by Monday, which means that you know the speaker's got a, got 72 hours more to make a call as to what direction they're going. Does he, you know, give the middle finger to the Freedom Caucus on the appropriations process, and in doing so, maybe kills himself? It's the old McCarthy issue from, you know, June and September of last year. Or does he uh, go ahead and punt government funding again? But we could we could literally be in a situation where we don't have a speaker by the end of next week again. Well, barely a day goes by when somebody doesn't express to me nostalgia for the good old days of Speaker McCarthy. <laughs> it is just amazing. <laughs> The world, what a world. The world is spinning around. And I literally every day have people say to me, just yesterday, somebody was saying, you know, I'm so disappointed in the Problem Solvers Caucus for not backing McCarthy. They really should have stood with them and we wouldn't be in this mess. That That was not this person's opinion of Kevin McCarthy when he was speaker. Right. A lot of of history being rewritten every day in Washington. I would say, as Rodney would say, the problem solvers are still waiting to find a problem they can solve. Yes. Fair enough. It's uh, fair enough. It is. It is funny, but and it is messy. But Tanner, you've often pointed out on this podcast that that's the democratic process working. Yeah. Reminiscent to me of the rules fight of 1890. That's right. That's right. You know, (laughs) hey, you want to see a place where the the Congress works effectively and just, you know, on time, every time stays on message. Russia, uh, Cuba, their Congress is always I mean, zips everything right through 100 percent. Everybody's on board in the right direction, you know. So, yeah, you want democracy, you're going to get messy from time to time. And, you know, we don't we don't love this messiness. But at the same point in time, it's a heck of a lot better than the alternative. Well, that's a good segue to to something I thought would be interesting to talk about, which is we often hear in, in our travels. It's not like it used to be, particularly Tanner, I think, on on Capitol Hill, your old stomping grounds. It's not like it used to be. And oh, I just I don't recognize this place anymore. And people used to hang out and get together. And I had a friend I was talking to yesterday who has been working on or around the hill for 30 years. And it's like, I just I just can't do it anymore. Is that is it actually different than it used to be or not? Yeah, it is. It is different. And how? You mentioned this to me, and I was thinking about it, and I thought of two inflection points 
in the course of my career. And I started, I guess my first internship was in 97. And so, you know, I think I've seen the length of this person that, that talked to use. It's not how it used to be. Uh, and there's two things that I'd point to. I think the first thing, many of our listeners may disagree with me on this, but the first thing was stricter ethics rules. You know, the inability for lobbyists to go put down a credit card at a local bar and invite Republican and Democratic staffers to come have a beer, you know, and they socialize after work, heaven forbid, in a bipartisan manner. The inability for that to happen has led to a degradation of the amount of socialization that happens on Capitol Hill. So you don't know the staffers in the other offices of the other party. You don't have a personality. You don't you don't care about them. It's easier for you to hate them or to think that they're the enemy in some way because you have no association with them whatsoever. And that was, you know, mostly a Jack Abramoff type situation where, heaven forbid, Jack Abramoff was actually caught and prosecuted and was went to jail for the things he did. But then Congress always feels the need to flog itself immediately after their rules actually worked and make the rules stronger and stronger. So that's that's number one. So there's no socialization as much on Capitol Hill. Number two is the rise of grassroots. And certainly that's a combination of media. That's a combination of fundraising, like the Act Blues and the Win Reds and the ability for for individuals to not have to go to PACs or businesses to get money to campaign on. You know, you can get $3 million a quarter in $20 increments, you know, from people donating online and from, from doing mailers or doing internet advertising. So there's less party unity. And we've talked about the degrading of party unity a lot in many different contexts on this podcast. But but certainly what that has led to is lack of clarity of message and focus and in both parties, quite frankly. And that's led to folks being more willing to buck their party because they're not as scared. They're saying, I can do it myself. You know, I can I can get reelected on my own. I don't need you apparatus. I don't need you um, leadership. And so I think those two things have happened extensively. I mean, there's a whole bunch more, but those are the two things that I'd point to that have, have made it less fun to work up there. It's still fun to work up there. If you can't drive up to Capitol Hill as we do on a daily basis and look at the dome and say, wow, this is pretty cool that I'm here, you know, then then something's wrong with you and you need to you need to quit the profession. But uh, but it's definitely not it's not as fun and it's not as effective as it used to be. That said, if you know the ropes, you can you can be effective. Or Tanner, you can be in the White House like you and I were this week with Marine One taking off in the background and interrupting our uh, that our was White cool. House meeting. That was cool. I was like, hey, helicopter, please be quiet. We're trying to deliver a client message. Trying to make a point. Yeah. Um, on the flip side, we were you and I were also on the Hill this week, and I won't reveal the issue or the offices, but we were with a in the office of a progressive democratic senator in a state where there is one d and one r elected to the senate and you wouldn't think they'd get along all that well but the d told us to go talk to the r yeah and so it's there's to join still, him to join him in the effort not not they didn't kick right, us out and tell us right right right, right to join yeah. forces yeah so it's it's not it's not completely gone. I guess from yeah. from well, my point I, of view, as far as you know, my time in Washington, I think on the executive branch side, 
it's more White House. Things are more White House driven than ever. Over the course of my time in government, it, the executive power, this is breaking news, but was consolidated more and more, taken away from the agencies, less agency independence, more 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue driven directives. And I think that's an that's an element of the equation as well. It's a little more subtle because and I, th- I think that's an interesting phenomenon. Mark, on the in, in your corner of the political sphere on on yeah. more of the I mean you really came up on the on the fundraising side and the ele- and the election kind of the more the campaign side what's your do you have an observation I do but it's sort of a forest and trees if you will it's different of course it's different I absolutely defer to Professor French on the uh, history of the Hill and and on what is different. And and I hear what you're saying about uh, consolidation of executive power. That's been a, a trend over decades. But I guess my view is uh, that it it's always different. It, it, you start at some point in time and look forward and it changes from where you began. But it's not as though we did it one way for 250 years and now we're doing it a completely different way. I'm not even going to attempt the French, I'll mangle it. But the more things change, the more things stay the same. It's always different. It For one thing, and maybe your friend is in part reacting to this, I know that I am, I go up there and everybody's younger than they used to be. Now, there is a corollary to that that we don't need to get into, <laughs> but, but of course it is. They're actually than, not, Mark. They're the actually world. not younger. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. <laughs> feel like there's well, a day there's to something going on. I haven't yeah. quite... I haven't quite sorted it out, but it's it is always different. I don't I personally do not find it to be so different that what was once a very satisfying and proud career is is no longer. I'm I'm still with the awe factor of seeing the dome and seeing uh, Marine One taken off. And and I think we're darn lucky to do what we do for a living. But you know what? Uh, if we are watching the uh, next generation do this podcast in 10 years, they're going to be complaining. You know, when we started out, it was so different. And Howard and Towner and Caitlin were so lucky to have it the way they did, because that that's human nature is all that's happening. It's just human nature playing out on Capitol Hill. I mean, Caitlin, I often feel, uh, Towner, as you said, you see the dome. I was thought about this this week, We're running between the White House and the United States Senate. And it's, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. And then the awe factor is still there. And I think, Caitlin, we all feel it, right? Absolutely. And I think, you know, to everyone's point on here, even in 2009, when I first came to Washington, it's the rise of social media too. the fact that members can speak through their phones directly via tweet to the to their constituents, to the American people, as opposed to their press secretaries 
booking them days in advance on TV for media hits or, you know, their director of new media, getting them out in the in the public arena. Now everyone's able to just fire off, you know, a couple word tweet and get themselves on Fox News in the evening. And I think that's part of the change that we've seen over the course of the last, you know, 15 years and slim majorities, right? The House only, Republicans in the House only have a two-seat majority. I do not think we would be seeing such challenges as we have today if there was a more decisive majority on either side, Republican or Democrat. I think, so yes, there are things that have changed, but there are also technology and the rise of being able to speak directly to voters. And, and this new phenomenon of, you know, people getting elected to office that aren't necessarily here for the right reasons and that are more focused on promoting their personal brand and, you know, selling books in the future than they are on actually legislating. And I know that's a point of frustration for a lot of members up there right now. I think I just, uh, some I of think that's... Amazing. On this, yeah. I would totally just blame the media. I mean, you know, the 1980s where everybody had Coke on their desks, you know, cigarette lobbyists walking around handing out cartons, you know, free drinks at the bar on lobbyists. And, you know, it's uh, it was a fun place back in the, you know, it got a lot more fun between the 60s and the 70s. And then, you know, we hit that pinnacle, like, you know, you go watch Charlie Wilson's war and find out what it was like in a congressional office, you know, in the in the 80s. And and then uh, it's going to take a it's going to take a downward trend. But, you know, at, at the uh, at the end of the day, folks are working hard. I mean, the 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 craziest thing that's happened in the last year is uh, a Celsius uh, vending machine, Caitlin. We you know, uh, people, you know, overdosing caffeine essentially because they want to work. Tried one of those things. Yeah. I mean, this is, uh, this is where we're at with Capitol Hill right now. So, I mean, it's, uh, people work a lot harder, a lot more and, uh, uh, and have, have a little bit less fun at the end of the day. Well, I think there's an ebb and a flow to this. And if you know, as we've talked about, no country is an inevitability, but we always find a way to come back around. And I also don't think it's as bad as people say it is. And I think, Mark, like you said, we are lucky to do what we do for a living. And I think bridging that gap is is part of what we do for our, for our clients. The, the inability of, you know, maybe these offices to socialize like they once did, but I, I think it, I think it's cyclical and it comes back around and, it's still to me, it's still fun to be here and still, like you said, Towner, awe inspiring to drive down Pennsylvania Avenue and do do what we do. So um, all right, guys, bit of a slow news week, but uh good discussion as always. We'll be back next week. Thanks, Caitlin. Thanks, Towner. Thanks, Mark. Thanks everybody for listening. You've been listening to the Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Please subscribe to our podcast so our episodes are automatically sent to you when they are released. The Beltway Briefing Podcast has been produced by Hometown Podcasts and Audio, Washington, D.C.